This episode of Where to Begin With will feature heavy spoilers of the movie Troll Hunter from 2010. If you've never seen the movie before and you want to take part by sending a review into this season of Where to Begin With, then hit stop on this episode right now. If, however, you've seen the movie before or you just don't give a shit, stick around. Don't say you weren't warned. And welcome back to another episode of Where To Begin With. This is season number two, episode number four. And this season we are looking at full documentary, found footage and mockumentary films. And we've arrived at a title which holds a special place to me. Now, as a genre... I think at times the kind of full found footage mockumentary subgenre as a whole can be seen as being cheap and slightly devoid of ideas, essentially repeating or regurgitating the same thing over and over and over again with little flair and little ingenuity. Troll Hunter from 2010 is the exception to the rule. A couple of years removed from the smash hit that was Paranormal Activity, the kind of found footage, full documentary subgenre was starting to boom. We were getting tons of movies in this kind of lo-fi, you know, handheld cam, 
people investigating something, people stumbling across something, supernatural, paranormal sort of theme that was running through. And a lot of them were very much paint-by-numbers kind of cookie-cutter exercises and how to recreate paranormal activity. I mean, hell, paranormal activity as a series essentially repeated itself over and over again through four instalments. So... You know, it's it's a, a subgenre where it even started to eat itself. You get movies like Grave Encounters, which then spans the investigation into the insane asylum with the big open mouth ghoul things that appeared in every movie after that. On top of that as well, you get movies that are like a weird combination of what Blair Witch Project did like a decade and a bit before right through to the paranormal activity, kind of hybrid somewhere in between. It's people lost in the woods, or it's people investigating UFO landings. Or It, it became a very, at times, serious subgenre. It didn't have much humour in it, and the humour that wasn't, it was mostly, look at these goofy characters, and wait to see what happens to them. It became repetitive and, and boring, through the majority of movies. Now, that's not to say that the subgenre doesn't gleam pure classics, because it does, and that's one of the reasons we're covering on this season. Troll Hunter, though, is one of these ones that comes out of absolutely nowhere, and for the first few years after its release, it's relatively unknown in the horror genre. People are not acclimating to it. They're not, you know, going out their way to, what is this Troll Hunter movie? I need to try and find it. They kind of hear the name and are put off, mostly because the idea of what a troll actually is is kind of associated with the movie Troll, um, which is not a great movie and neither is Troll 2. But I think people started to think, well, it's goofy. I don't want to watch that. I want to watch demons, you know, possessing people. You know, those are the things. I want to see Vatican priests perform an exorcism. I want to see anything about a troll. And that's maybe where its strength lies. Being a Norwegian found footage movie, it leans heavily into the kind of folklore and mythology of the country. And I think, if you, unless you've grown up in Iceland or the Nordic countries, I think we don't understand how important the, the idea of the troll is to their kind of their folklore in particular kids grow up hearing stories about trolls and it's not the way we heard about them whether it's something like the billy goat's gruff and the troll under the bridge these are you know not like that although what i love about this movie is it takes different interpretations of kind of famous troll stories and lays them out in fact in this movie there is a troll under a bridge who tries to get a goat that's on top of the bridge so that idea of the billy goat's gruff is ingrained in here and i love that it's playing with folklore so you get that part first uh kind of you are the audience from outside of Norway being invited in and going through the steps and learning yourself about the mythology of the trolls. I also love the idea, and it's been used in movies like What We Do in the Shadows, where we're actually just taking something as, in, in this movie, as a profession, is just a matter of fact. This guy hunts trolls. The story involves a couple of kind of college journalists who start off making a story about what they think is someone who's trying to poach bears. They track down the guy and find that he's actually hunting trolls and he works for some clandestine sort of part of the government. And they are keeping everything under cloak and daggers and keeping the populace safe from these trolls who would eat humans by employing these troll hunters, an ancient tradition, a grand tradition that goes back many years. 
The only way they're actually allowed opportunity to film this footage is because said troll hunter is disgruntled. He says it himself, he has to work weekends, he works overtime, he doesn't get paid for it, it's a dangerous job, he isn't thanked for it, the hours are long, he's antisocial, so he's at this stage where he feels, fuck it, we'll just, we'll just have some fun, you guys can film it and I'll blow your tiny little minds. And that's essentially what we get, we follow a different series of interactions between the troll hunter and the trolls and they get grander in scope. Like I say, we follow into the mythology of, of, of what trolls mean, uh, the rules that they must obey, and you go through various different setups and executions of them. The trolls are all CGI in this movie, but I will stress this, that even 11 years removed, and even though this movie had not a big budget, I think they hold up. It's kind of grainy, handheld, you know, footage to begin with. Not super grainy like Blair Witch Project, but it's not high-def footage. And as a result, the trolls kind of work in this one. The interactions as well are, are surprisingly witty, surprisingly funny, and very sardonic in parts. So it adds a dose of humour with it feeling forced. It's just a naturally funny script because it's something so absurd. But there are moments in here with the sound design, with the setup, with them trying to escape where, you know, the, the idea of terror and horror is there. It's just not overbearing. It knows how to balance the two out. It is slightly long for a found footage movie. This one comes in just over an hour and 40, which I would argue generally is too long. But the setup and execution of all these different elements is handled really well. The ending ends in a way where it tries to explain how the footage was recovered without necessarily doing it. So it has those trappings of most of the kind of modern found footage movies. And it works surprisingly well here as well. The idea of did the footage get leaked by these people who went into hiding to expose the government conspiracy? Or did they fall prey to the government themselves being taken away somewhere to, to never see the light of day. Kind of open-ended and I think it works super strong for this. The acting is pretty good across the board but it's almost like a show stealer from start to finish with the man who plays the troll hunter himself which is Otto Jesperson who is absolutely brilliant. He is funny, he is clever, the, the dialogue he comes away with is great. I would stress and I made a, a mistake of this way back in the day checking out the the kind of English dubbed version and it's absolutely awful. Watch it in its original Norwegian with the English subtitles. It's a much better watch because the voices they put over just as lazy voice acting. The director himself, a, a man by the name of Andre Overdahl, has went on to do kind of amazing things. He would follow up a Troll Hunter with a short movie called Tolenin. Um, and then not really put out another movie for, what, it was like another couple of years before The Autopsy of Jane Doe arrived, which is a great movie. It's a really sharp, smart, one-location horror movie that I think, you know, delivers the goods. It has a phenomenal performance by Brian Cox as well, which helps it. And most recently, he teamed up with Guillermo del Toro to do scary stories to tell in the dark based on the infamous band novel in the States. So, you know, once again, it is worth checking out. 
He's most recently put out a movie called Mortal, uh, which I have not seen before. I don't know where you get it. Um, I don't even know much about it at all. Uh, but that's what he's often doing. And rumour has it he has something in the pipeline just now, a little thing called The Last Voyage of Demeter. And he's also working on the sequel to Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which I believe did have a book sequel. So I imagine that's the way it's going. He's never really, really turned to do fan footage, but you could argue he doesn't need to. He did it as a, a kind of one and done and delivered something which I think stands out uh, and has lasted the test of time. Some 11 years on, I still really enjoy this one. I really don't know anyone that dislikes this movie, so I'll be interested to see if any of the listeners come back with a, an instant disliking of it. But like I see, part of the way this movie works is that it never treats the audience like an idiot. Instead, it just deals matter-of-fact with what you are seeing is real. Trolls are real, and you very much like the reporters need to open your eyes and see around. There's evidence everywhere. I think it works really, really well. So that is your assignment, ladies and gents. I want some information from you guys uh, about your feelings and thoughts on Troll Hunter from 2010. And you've got a bit of time to get it in for sure. Um, I need reviews from you guys no later than Thursday the 13th, Thursday the 13th of May to get your reviews in for Troll Hunter and we'll see what you made of it. Did you enjoy it as much as I did? Did you did you like the humour? Did you like the mythology? Did you like the setup, the execution? How does the CGI stand out for you? Very interested to hear your thoughts. Troll Hunter needs to be in Thursday the 13th of May. Right, now that you've heard what I've made of the movie you're about to review, let's hear what you guys made of the movie we reviewed last month. We've got some reviews in from listeners to do with Ghostwatch from 1992. We will, of course, start with Jamie McCauley, who sent his in via Facebook. Jamie says... I wish I'd been old enough to see Ghostwatch when it was first broadcast, but I would have been seven and no doubt I'd have been as high as a kite on sugar after school Halloween disco. This would have scared the hell out of me as a kid. This was such a fun movie and knowing that this is basically one of the biggest pranks ever pulled off just makes me love it even more. Having Michael Parkinson as the lead host of this was an absolute masterstroke since he'd been one of the biggest BBC stars at the time and arguably the biggest TV talk show host of all time. Getting him on board as the main host gives us a little bit of legitimacy and surely helped tip it over the edge in convincing the public that this was actually a live presentation and not a movie. Some very clever tricks were used here to drive the dagger home that this was live. I mean, having the phone-in element with the people believed that there were real calls coming in from people was a nice touch, and this was the format used in similar shows of the time. The live show errors also added to this. Things like trying to play live footage and then having technical difficulties saying, we have an issue uh, with that video, we'll try and get it sorted and come back to you later in the show. It did a great job of adding layers of believability. Having shit hit the fan in the studio towards the end was incredible, with Parkinson wandering a darkened studio before becoming possessed must have scared the shit out of people. I can only imagine how many households were filled with people with their jaws on the floor. Plenty must have realised that the credits and from the credits it was a prank, but there have been tons of folk too freaked out to even register that these were credits showing character names and actor names. The only part that bugged me was 
in my opinion, what could have been cast out over the legitimacy of all was the uh, psychiatrist of Dr. Emilio Silvestri in America. Yes, having someone from a scientific background involved makes sense to try and balance the conversation and to try and rationalise things. The thing that bothered me though was having him in a room that had a picture on the wall uh, was like saying, look, he must be in America. Why else would that picture of the New York skyline be on his wall? However, I did find it funny that at one point when he started speaking, I wasn't looking at the TV at the time. I think I thought it was Jeff Goldblum. His voice and speech pattern were just so similar. It's just a shame it's unlikely anything like this will be able to be done again. Back at that time when it came about, nobody nobody really had the internet yet, social media didn't exist, so all anyone could go on was what they were seeing on TV. It would have been days before people had known what was actually happening, from news reports and other info on TV shows, and from the newspapers. If something like this was ever to be suggested now, it'd be all over Facebook and no one would be able to keep a secret anymore. I watched this one shortly after buying the DVD and again for review purposes and it's one I'd happily watch again and again. Yes it's dated, but it still holds up so well and knowing the history of this, the fallout after it and seeing the clear influence it has made uh, makes it an absolute masterpiece. This is a 5 star movie for me but with an asterisk against it and that's not to the detriment of the movie at all but it hadn't worked as well as it did pranking the country and having the legacy and the impact that it did, I don't know if it would have scored so high. Thank you very much for submitting that in, Jamie. Yeah, well, they did do something similar a couple of years ago when they did the Inside Number 9 episode, which got people confused on Twitter, um, and they played into that. The BBC was tweeting out that they were having technical difficulties and there was issues in the studio and all the rest. So they did their own version of it again, how successful it is, I, I don't know. I don't think the BBC got many complaints. But it's interesting to see that someone had anticipated that and modernised it in a way to anticipate social media conversation and incorporate that into the viewing experience. So, um, If you've never seen that one before, high recommend from me as well. Up next is Tim Walker who says, Dear Duncan and Teapot's Collective Folk, well it's found footage time again and this is an infamous classic. Ghost Watch, the BBC's Halloween special that supposedly scarred a nation, a la Orson Welles and the Mercury Theatre's War of the Worlds radio broadcast from the late 30s. I've heard the uproar about War of the Worlds broadcast was overblown, some people freaked out about a Martian invasion, but most people knew it was just a radio drama. I presume that that was possibly the case with Ghost Watch. Some viewers freaked out and were hysterical. Maybe some of the same people who had recently freaked out about the video nasties, but many viewers knew perfectly well it was just a Halloween TV special. It's hard to say though. I remember seeing a TV movie in the mid-90s called Without Warning, which was about an asteroid impact played off as a news report. Not with actual news people like Tom Broker or Dan Rather, but with actors. It was hyped up well beforehand as a War of the World style show and not just at the beginning but at every commercial break they would warn the audience that it wasn't a real news programme. It was just a movie. They made it brutally clear. Nevertheless, the next few days there were reports that some people still freaked out and made frantic calls to the police and other news media outlets. There was another TV movie that I saw recently from 1983 made to look like a live breaking news report called Special Bulletin. You can find it on YouTube. 
That was about a small group of terrorists who are actually concerned nuclear scientists who take a reporter and a cameraman hostage. They threaten the news crew and the whole city of Charleston, South Carolina with a nuclear weapon that they say is as strong as the one that took out Nagasaki. It was surprisingly good, though the realism was tempered by my reckon- recognising of a couple of actors. The actor who played the anchor man was George C. Scott, uh, George C. Scott's priest friend in The Exorcist 3. I believe he was also in Salem's Lot in the Ninth Configuration. One of the terrorists was played by the actor who was Palmer in John Carpenter's The Thing. I don't know if a special bulletin caused any panic, but it was played pretty realistically, so it may very well have. Anyway, my first experience with Ghostwatch was when it finally showed up on Shudder, which isn't there anymore, at least in the States. I had to watch it this time on the Internet Archive, it should still be there. When I saw it on Shudder the first time, I quite enjoyed it. It was just fun, albeit perhaps a little corny. I still think some of the dialogue is pretty cheesy. For example, the debates between the believer and the professor and the sceptic professor are pretty cringeworthy. Of course, supernatural horror movies are often stall-manning and demonising sceptics, so I'm used to it. I'm a sceptic if you hadn't guessed. I don't believe in ghosts, but I can still suspend my disbelief for a movie, even one not trying to be super realistic. Still, I found some of the dialogue grating to say the least. Nevertheless, I did enjoy it then, but I liked it quite a bit more this time. And that's in large part because I noticed the appearances of the ghost nickname Pipes. Well, I noticed more of them on this watch. Not all. If you look up on YouTube, you can see all the appearances or Easter eggs of Pipes in the background. I think those were the best parts of the movie, actually. Pipes is pretty creepy, and they show them very effectively. It looks like a bit like Dr. Freudstein from Lucio Fulci's House by the Cemetery. He's a damn good boogeyman. The visuals and sound design were top notch. Most of the acting wasn't all that great, but I did like Parkinson as the host. Of course, realism is one of the movie's top selling points, and I can see why it scared the shit out of people in the UK and garnered a cult following. For a while, that cult following was based on memories and word of mouth exclusively, which is even more impressive. I would have given this a 3.5 out of 5 stars after my first watch, but I bumped this one up to a 4.5 out of 5. Yeah, I pretty much love this one now. I wish I could get a nice Blu-ray release, but I probably shouldn't hold my breath. It may stay on the internet archive exclusively forever. Well, hopefully I dig the movie next month and where to begin with series as much, if not more. We'll see. Until then, take care, teapots, collective people, and pay close attention to the banging pipes. Tim. Thanks very much, Tim. It's always great to get an American's perspective on this because the the people in this movie, the celebrities in this movie, being real celebrities that we saw on the TV all the time is part of the reason for its impact. Like, Michael Parkinson was just regarded as a very trustworthy person. So having him pull the ultimate wool over your eyes is, is a really clever, shrewd tactic that they did um, in this one. Uh, so yeah, it's always great to hear the opinion of the Americans on this one. Right, let's continue on, shall we? Next up is an audio review in from listener Kate Pollock, who says... Hi, Duncan and Teapots listeners. It's Kate Pollock here, and here is my review of the BBC production of Ghostwatch from 1992. So this is a faux... Well, I suppose it's a programme rather than a documentary, but 
you know, whatever. Um, and this was extremely infamous and controversial when it came out. This is a TV event that would go down in UK pop culture history and the BBC kind of washed their hands of it amidst all of the complaints it received, as well as certain tragic events that occurred after which the show was blamed for. When it came out, I would have been about four years old. Um, my parents wouldn't have watched it. It's not really their sort of thing. So as a result, it wasn't really on my radar. Then much later, when I started to hear about it, I then came to realise that it was either very revered or very condemned. Either way, I was interested. But I never got round to watching. Until now. So, what did I think? Well, sat watching in my living room late last night, I tried to put myself in the shoes of those watching in 1992. So there'd been no internet, no IMDb, no real found footage movies at all at that point, or at least, you know, they weren't anywhere near as common as they are now. So the average viewer isn't going to think that anything about this isn't genuine. Yeah, sure, there are opening and closing cre credits indicating that this is fiction, but honestly, I found myself forgetting that when watching. And also potentially, at the time, you didn't even have to have tuned in for all of it. You know, apparently a lot of people kind of just came in halfway through, and so they may have missed them. And remember, you couldn't record or rewind TV back then either. Add in the formatting of the show, you know, you've got other programmes such as this, like, you know, exposing certain things like Panorama and stuff. You also have the respected Michael Parkinson hosting. Um, you know, you've got professionals and doctors also appearing on the show. And, you know, we know that these are actors now, but they were portrayed as such to be very convincing. So despite better judgment, it would make even the most skeptic of viewers pause for consideration, I think. The response to the programme clearly shows that it did. There are also consistent like events happening all the time, whether it's interviews or live footage from the house or call-ins from viewers. This is really great for keeping momentum going and holding your attention, even if nothing paranormal is happening much. We find out about the family, that, you know, we kind of sympathise with them, they're very kind of normal, um, you know, they're very relatable and, and you could easily think like, oh God, this could be me and my family. And then when the incidents do start occurring, it's all pretty remarkable and seems the presenter, Sarah, who's there on site, she considers all reasonable lines of thinking so as not to jump to conclusions. So when it's deducted that, yes, this is something peculiar, the audience is there with her. There are no silly orbs or trickery of the light or over-the-top shrieking to create fear over nothing and at times certain aspects are completely debunked. They also bring the sceptic professor, uh, professor to try and dissuade people from believe what's happening to the point where he and Dr Pascoe, who's their sort of studio expert, so to speak, they have a bit of an argument about it all. This further grounds the events in reality and sets it apart from movies that people may have seen about hauntings or possession where it's very much one line of thinking so when shit really hits the fan in the final act you're right there with them and it's pulled off pretty believably i have the luxury of obviously of knowing that this is fake but if i didn't and i'd seen this in 1992 from bbc the bbc you know a respected professional high caliber tv network i would definitely have believed it you know i mean i would have shot a fucking brick so now, despite all of this, I wasn't entirely sure about how I felt about it for the first half. I could see what they were doing and respected it, but some of it I kind of found a bit dumb or irritating. The intro montage after the first footage of the bedroom, um, where they're all kind of like rolling up in their vans and everything, I found that to be a little bit cheesy, a little bit sort of, I kind of rolled my eyes at it a bit. 
Um, but I think that's possibly just because it's dated. I think at the time that's probably fine, but you know, Dr. Pascal, the online, uh, online on, uh, no, the studio expert, sorry. Um, I found her to be really annoying, just constantly like I don't know like her mannerisms and facial expressions I just kind of found her to be a bit smarmy um you know the way she kind of talks out the side of her mouth I don't know um I also found her to be a little bit petty especially when she interacted with Dr Sylvester um and as well as that she has this inability to even entertain other possibilities other than the supernatural which just kind of seems mental to me as she's a woman of like science I mean you know it's fringe science but you know she is a woman of science and so you would think that she would want to explore all options um and be quite so narrow-minded or like kind of refusing to accept things even when that seems to be the most likely option dr sylvester um who's this um skeptic um professor um that they have on um he was really unprofessional too and i just I don't think that people of their professions would converse like that during a scientific investigation or a debate, especially not on national television. There also as well within that like debate, there wasn't any real escalation from it being kind of civil to like, you know, not. It, it just went straight to name calling, um, which I just found a bit off. I did though, I really quite liked about how um, Park, uh, Michael Parkinson, or Parky as we call him in the UK, um, he kind of looks at the camera sort of like a bit, ooh, when uh, Sylvester states that like um, heaven isn't real. <laughs> I quite enjoyed that. Um, I thought some of the acting was unconvincing. Some of the viewers who called in sounded like they were just reading their lines, um, like off a bit of paper or something. I mean, they probably were, but it really kind of came across that way. Some were great. And I did learn that later on, um, like the ones with their own stories and things were genuine, but a lot of the ones calling in about the specific events regarding the show were kind of a bit wooden. I thought the way that Michael Parkinson um, interacted with the callers was kind of odd and not true to how an investigative reporter or presenter would behave. And Michael Parkinson, for those who, who might not know, is even at this point, I think, um, although I'm not entirely sure because I say I was only four and, you know, can't say I followed his entire career, but he was a really established interviewer and presenter. Like he was so professional. Um, you know, so I found that his behaviour, I found him kind of to be pretty dismissive and to the point of being rude at times. You know, he doesn't ask any follow-up questions to quite curious um, sort of claims from some of the callers. It's just kind of like, oh, right, yes, this, so this happened. And then he's kind of like, oh, cheers for calling. Okay, thanks, bye. You know, it's, it's very much that. Um, he's really quick to end these calls. And at one point he just sort of says they're going to dismiss all calls. It's like, why have a phone line if you're just going to do that? I also found the mother to be quite infuriating. Just lines like, oh, nothing's wrong with my Susie after we discovered that Susie has been faking the noises heard in the house, or at least some of them anyway. Not to mention when she, like, she said that she gets so mad that she's going to hit her kid. Like, I know that it was a different time, but fuck's sake, like, it doesn't really make her the most likable person. Um, Oh yeah, also there were occasions um, where the show seemed to sort of over-exaggerate the credibility of some of the activity. For example, there was um, like a photo or, or footage or something of a pillow moving on its own, I think, or, or, or levitate, I can't quite remember. Um, but someone goes, oh, it's impossible to fake that. How do you fake that? So, 
really easily. <laughs> you don't have to be like an expert filmmaker to know that that could be faked pretty damn easily. Um, but then equally, they also dismiss really obvious stuff like, you know, there's this bit where there's uh, they go back to footage of um, someone claiming that um, Pipes is outlined on the curtain and they go, oh, no, I don't know if I can see that. And it's like, how, how can you not see that? It's clear as day. Like, it's it just seems to be sort of like very obtuse. Um, so yeah, it was kind of seems to be one or another at times and it just kind of bugged me. Um, however, despite all of this, there are some aspects that I really did enjoy. I thought Craig Child, Child, Child? Craig Charles added some levity, um, which I just thought seemed quite natural, um, especially to his character. Like if anyone who knows him, it sort of seems the kind of person that he is. Um, and I saw it, thought it created some um, variety in tone and stuff. Um, he was a little bit silly at times, but um, when he got it right, I thought it was really good. For example, the jump scare where he tricks everyone at the beginning, um, it really got me. <laughs> like I proper jumped at that bit um, and I really enjoyed that. I thought the women that he interviews in the park, I thought they were really great. I thought they were very natural. Their stories were really intriguing, um, kind of horrific and, and all, also a bit sad, like, you know, poor dog. <laughs> um, I thought that the kids were pretty good as well, which surprised me because I'm not always in favour of child actors. Um, but, you know, they reminded me of a lot of the kids that I would hang out at their age and things. So, yeah. Um, I thought Sarah, the on-site presenter and kind of the minder of the children while their mother was away um, doing interviews and stuff, I think, or something. She's like in a separate room. I thought she was really warm and likeable. I thought that she had a really good balance of curiosity, but also like rationale. Um, and despite his blase attitude on occasion, I'm not going to lie, I really did enjoy watching old Parky on my screen again. You know, he's just a bit of a national tre treasure and always a delight honestly <laughs> um i also really liked how the writers seemed to do their research on the supernatural and spiritual law for example like animals going nuts clot stopping cold spots um you know the supernatural affecting technology and water and things this is stuff that's still used today in supernatural shows and movies um whether obviously fiction such as supernatural um or you know further faux reporting programs like most haunted like I know, don't at me, I know people do believe it, but I just don't, sorry, <laughs> um, don't hate me. Um, but on that note, um, uh, there's a huge, like I have a huge respect to the ground that they were breaking here. It's really obvious that there was a mass, this was a massive influence of pop culture over the years. Um, you know, there are shades of this in Paranormal Activity or, you know, pretty much any other horror found footage movie. Um, and apparently the makers of the Blair Witch Project were hugely influenced by this too, that they had seen this before they made it and, you know, took some notes and stuff. So that's so, so cool. Um, so despite all the positive aspects I just, I just mentioned, I wasn't overly keen on it for the reasons that I mentioned before. About halfway through, my score was kind of coming in at a 2.5, maybe a three just because of, the influence and stuff it clearly had and, and how it was groundbreaking. Then the last act occurred. Once we saw the glimpse of pipes in front of the curtains as the camera pans round the empty girl's bedroom only to disappear as the camera spins back round to try and catch it, I sat right up in my chair. It was executed so well and I went back and paused like that moment and the ghost of pipes actually looked really cool and very creepy. The makeup was done really well, the bloody eye just you know took it that extra step further, I just I loved it. And from then on I was constantly searching the background for further glimpses. Little did I know that they 
they had actually been occurring throughout the film. Um, I found this out afterwards and I went online immediately to try and find the others on like YouTube videos and stuff and I couldn't believe that I had missed so many. Um, so yeah, that's really cool. It was really expertly done, really creepy. I, I love that shit. Like in Book of Shadows with the hidden message and stuff, things like that really rev my engine. So that alone brought my score up a notch to a very secure three. Soon after that, the program really kicks into high gear and shit escalates fast. The opening of the um, <laughs> the glory hole. I'm sorry, but I sniggered every time that they said that. I know I've got the maturity of a 10 year old, but I don't, I don't know why they would call it that. <laughs> but there's this bit where they, anyway, they open it up and the cameraman sort of gets attacked and he gets knocked out and we have another glimpse of pipes. You've got the, um, it's very kind of like blink and you miss it, um, but very effective as like a jump scare. The kitchen scene with the toy bunny in the sink and then Kim revealing its eyes. I thought that was really cool. Um, Suzanne being attacked, scratched all over her face. I thought she was really good in that bit. Um, we've got the backstory of pipes being revealed um, through um, a, a listener calling in. Um, and it's kind of typical that backstory now with like, you know, the sort of coming out of an asylum and having all of these sort of like personality disorders and all this kind of stuff. But it is the type of backstory that really does entertain me. Um, and I thought that the caller um, was one of the few that were genuinely very believable, um, which not only made a nice change, but it was also really important for selling that backstory. I love that the fake footage was used to dupe the studio, like how everything looked normal and stuff. And then she suddenly realizes that like a picture that had fallen earlier is now back in place. I thought that was really clever. And I thought that the quick cut to the actual footage is very shocking and effective when it's like everything's so calm and then boom, sudden chaos. Um, then also as well, um, when the studio began to be affected, I was a little bit unsure about that. I kind of felt it was a bit overkill. Um, but then as that escalated, I started to buy into it more. And then I felt it was pretty validated by the end when, you know, Parky kind of seems to be possessed or whatever. Um, you know, it was kind of like, oh, okay. It's not just like, oh, this is a little bit like that. It was good that they went all in with that because otherwise I didn't think that, I thought, you know, as I say, it would have been a bit overkill, but it kind of went so overkill. It was like, oh, okay, I'm with you, I'm with you. Um, I did love though how up until that bit, he didn't really seem to be that bothered by what was going on. He was just very kind of chill about it. It's like, oh, so are we, are we still recording? Are we, what's going on? Are we all right? Like, it's just, everything is like falling apart around him. Um, that did make me laugh. Um, so yeah, by the end, I, I was in for this ride and I was actually really satisfied with its conclusion, despite indications that this isn't real. Like a lot of them are likely due to having a modern eye as well as the advantage of knowing that it's not real. So even though the credits are hard clues that this is the case, I can completely understand why people freaked out over this and can also understand why there were complaints. I mean, I wouldn't have complained, I'd have loved it, but I can imagine that the average middle-aged or elderly couple not being too happy. But this made me like it even more, you know, but the gumption, the audacity of it all. Nothing like this had ever been done on British nat national television before, I don't think, let alone the BBC doing it. I kind of wish that the BBC hadn't, dist hadn't distanced themselves from it, but kind of rather owned it. But that's just me. And I guess from a reputation perspective or whatever, I can kind of understand why they did. But you wouldn't have had that f Channel 4 pulling any of that bullshit, I tell you. Channel 4 would have owned that. Anyway, this 
hits all the beats that we come to expect from um you know possession or found footage or haunted movies you know escalation of activity children being affected backstory you know the skeptics balancing out the hysteria and possible causes followed with insistence of it being genuine the voices the electrical stuff cutting out you know this is all kind of stuff that we come to expect but this was all done in a very realistic setting and for the most part it was ex executed really effectively and for the times definitely would have been really ch chilling and as i've said before your average viewer probably wouldn't have clicked it as anything but genuine so started out as a 2.5 but ended with yeah a four out of five i reckon i'm really glad that i got with this one on dvd as i reckon i'll dig it out again on halloween this year and proper immerse myself in all of the halloween shenanigans um really pleased to have um got this off my wall of shame um so thanks very much duncan for helping with that um and yeah i look forward to hearing everybody else's thoughts have a good one bye thanks very much to kate for submitting in that review one more review left to go. This one came in from my good friend, David Garrett Jr., who says... Hello, Duncan and T-Puts Collective listeners. David Garrett Jr. here to go over my thoughts on Ghostwatch for where to begin with found footage and mockumentaries. Now, this is a movie that I actually never had heard of until I got into podcasts. It is one that I knew fell into this kind of subgenre. Once I kind of started to learn more about kind of the history and some of the more prominent movies. Now, I've been meaning to watch this one for some time, but never got around to it. And a lot of this was due to the fact that here in the United States, it's kind of hard to find. So I am thankful, Duncan, that you selected it for this, you know, kind of show that you're doing here because it finally gave me an excuse to actually do some legwork to find a copy of it. Now, first thing I kind of want to delve into here is while watching this, I was getting vibes of something like Unsolved Mysteries or like 60 Minutes. And it's also pretty impressive to get these prominent people that are, I didn't know this, you know, growing up in the United States when I did, but they were prominent people that were on the BBC, like Michael Parkinson, Sarah Green, Mike Smith, and Craig Charles. This movie would really be something that probably couldn't happen today, though, with the internet. It feels similar to how people would, you know, believe like the Blair Witch Project with how well they were selling it with all the kind of ancillary type things. And then, I mean, another thing is also like War of the Worlds, as to my understanding is, you know, kind of what this movie did here that had a similar effect to what that radio program did in the United Kingdom. Now, where I wanted to go next would be what kind of inspired this movie. And that would be the Enfield Poltergeist. Now, I'm pretty sure that I've seen an episode of A Haunting that covered that event. And this is, of course, you know, pretty much most of the story that we get in The Conjuring 2. But going into that story... I love that, you know, we have this broken family. There's some strain on the mother as she's trying to raise her two daughters, but there's also kind of another effect here where the poltergeist could be kind of playing on the fact that they're living in a broken home and these children are kind of having their own type of depression that can stem from, you know, being in that type of situation. And what I'm getting at here is that Pamela's divorced, you know, so she has two daughters that are very similar to that source material. I like that in this movie here dr pascal is stating that they're susceptible to this haunting and then there are some similarities with how the haunting plays out as well between this enfield poltergeist and then ghost watch including the entity itself i also feel that this movie is trying to use those that know the true events as kind of a swerve as well in that we get to see that the mother could possibly be you know faking some of this and this is what Parkinson is, you know, a firm believer of once that kind of gets discovered during this whole event. 
And I think that's kind of a cool thing that plays with where the movie ends up. Now, I will admit, I do have a drawback here, and I thought the movie was a bit slow, if I'm going to be honest. What I will say, though, is I feel having seen it to its completion is what it needed to be. The movie lulled me in, and I was wondering if it was going to ramp up at all, and I feel due to that, it kind of lured me into a false sense of security before going crazy in the end. I wasn't expecting where it went, and I'll be honest, it made me feel uncomfortable seeing how everything plays out. What is effective here would be the effects. Early on, we see a video of the bedroom of the two girls. Some of the callers notice something that once they play it back for us, we can see. And that is something that gets under my skin because there it looks like there could be this entity, but you could also explain it away just being how the curtains are like laying. And then after that, this is a movie where if you're not paying attention to things in the background, you can actually see this image more and more. And that's another thing that's unsettling to me, especially if the people in the movie don't notice that there's this thing there. And it's something that we do because it just builds a sense of dread for me and makes me feel uncomfortable. Now, I, now that I have seen this movie, I really want to give it a rewatch as I know there are probably more that I missed. And I'll also give credit to the cinematography for doing this all as well. This aided in with the sound design and they do some really good things with like banging on walls where it's coming from a different floor or like a room next door to you and you don't think anybody's in there. There's also some creepy stuff with some agitated cats and things of this effect that make it all creepier. And I love what the backstory is of all of these little different elements and how they all kind of tie back into everything that we get in the end. Now, I kind of want to delve into the acting here. As I've already said that Parkinson's, Green, Smith, and Charles play themselves. I don't really have any issues there as they feel real. Now, I don't really know much about them as I've already said. So, like, I don't know if they're this is actually how you would see them on TV, but being that this is an fictional report, I think they're doing a really good job there, and I can see their talent when it comes through to the real thing. Then we also have the actress of last name Bevan, who plays Dr. Pascal. I thought she was good. What I really like about her is that she's challenged a few times in this movie. Now, she believes everything that we're seeing, that there is really a haunting here, but the evidence just isn't looking good, and she's so desperately trying to prove it, and I like that she doesn't back down. Now, there's also a Brennan in this movie with Solid along with the Wesson sisters, who they are playing the mother and two daughters. I thought the cast does a really good job in selling the realism here. So in conclusion, I'm glad that I finally could take this one off of my blind spot list. It is an interesting concept to borrow from, you know, a real-life haunting, make it into a mockumentary, while giving, you know, real reporters and presenters from the BBC where I could see how people might get confused and think that this is real. That really helps to sell the realism as well. The acting also kind of builds to this. The cinematography was well done, and we don't get a lot in the way of effects, but I don't think we really need them, and I think playing it down there definitely helps to make it even creepier. The sound design helps for the eerie vibe. If I have any negatives, I think it's a bit slow, but I think it will be cleared up for me, to be honest, on a second viewing, just knowing how I am with movies like this. So I'm sure that there are some things that I miss, so I would say this is a good movie and worth a viewing if you've never seen it and one that I do plan on checking out again in the future. So my rating here, Duncan, would be a 4 out of 5 on the T-Put scale. And I'm also pretty excited to hear that the next one is going to be Troll Hunter because this is one that I actually just recently watched. So it should be pretty easy for me to, you know, get a review and everything like that. Can't wait to hear the episode to hear what everybody else's thoughts were on Ghost Watch. Thank you once again for doing these, Duncan. This is David Garrett Jr. signing off. And thanks so much to David Garrett Jr. for submitting in his review. Always great to hear from you, my friend. So there we go. That was your thoughts of last month's movie, Ghost Watch. And like I said before, I invite anyone 
to do a review for the movie we covered on this episode. So yeah, Troll Hunter is the next one for the listeners. 2010 is when the movie came out. You have until Thursday the 13th of May to get your review in. The episode will be dropping that Sunday. So please get your reviews in. I look forward to hearing from you. As for me, where am I going next? Well, I'm taking an idea and a concept which felt very folklorish and very ingrained in the psyche of Norway and I'm kind of twisting it to what I feel is the natural American version, which is something steeped into the culture, into the very DNA of America, and that is conspiracy theories. As we look at the conspiracy from 2012. Now, this movie, I'm very much looking forward to it. I've seen it a few times and I, I really enjoy this one, but it does for American kind of culture for a movie like Troll Hunter does for Norwegian culture and that it really does play into the very fabric of the paranoia of uh, an entire country. Um, America really is the, the, the home of the conspiracy theory and this, uh, this movie plays into that for sure. So yeah, next month I'll be looking at The Conspiracy from 2012. As always, thank you very much for listening to this episode. Hope you check out the other shows on the Teapots Collective, whether it is Opera Omnia, Doing the Nasty or Chronicle. I'll be back in one month's time to discuss The Conspiracy and your reviews for Troll Hunter. But until then, please take care of yourselves. Bye everyone. <laughs>